Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you here at Mosaic this morning, and um, thank you to Darren and the team that was leading up here for us this morning. Let's give them a hand, huh? And um, man, I tell you, I, I just love the number of people who are a part of this community in the way that people just step up and lead. It's a beautiful thing. So, December 31st, 1999, I don't know where you were, but I, along with the rest of the world, was awaiting Y2K, and it was just Nicole and I at that time. Our kids weren't even born yet, you know? Thank God, because if the earth was going to blow up and we were all going to be gone, you know, it was just the two of us. Um, you know, didn't have to worry about the kids or anything. I think we had, we had stocked up on batteries, right? Batteries, what else? Uh, water, right? We had water bottles. I think we had even filled the tub up with water, you know? We were living in Princeton, New Jersey at the time, so we figured if, you know, if, like, things go to pot, at least we have a really, you know, a whole bunch of smart people that live around us. We can handle this. Um, we drove to some friend's house to celebrate, which we were a little nervous to do that because it was like, mate, should we be home? You know, because, like, what happens if satellites start crashing to the earth and we have to dodge them on the way home and stuff, right? I mean, you're asking these questions. You just never knew what was going to happen. Uh, I don't think I had ever had so much cash in my pocket because I went to the ATM that day and emptied our savings account, you know, which was probably all like $275. Um, but I got it all. And uh, we were ready for it, right? I mean, we were ready for it. Anybody else with me? Were you there? Do you remember? Yeah, some of you, right? Yeah, some of you are like, I don't remember. Don't remember it. Um, well, you know, so the reality is like, so the clock strikes midnight, and we were on East Coast time at that time, so of course, you know, you, when the clock struck midnight, it was really midnight, you know? We're still getting used to this living on Central Time thing, where it's like, wait, so isn't the new, here, new Year here yet? Because the ball dropped in New York City, so it's difficult for us yet. Um, but like, nothing happened. Nothing happened. So, so everything had changed because the year 2000 was here, uh, but yet nothing had changed. And you know, we weren't ready for that. Um, so we just kind of went on with our lives. We were expecting a little bit more. Uh, so here we are the days after Easter. And the days after Easter, there's a, there's a real kind of danger in the midst of the days after Easter. Because at Easter, we, we celebrate this resurrection of Jesus, right? This, this victory over death. Uh, this victory over the, the evil empires of the world. Right? They don't have the final say, right? Um, but if we're not careful, even though everything has changed, the resurrection of Jesus has ushered in this brand new world, this brand new creation of God. In a sense, it can be as if nothing has changed, right? We just go on with our lives, and the thing about God's new world that was ushered in at that, that first Easter is God's new world doesn't force itself on us. It's present. It's here. But it's not going to force itself on us. And so, really, the onus is on us to learn how to listen, right? To let this new world speak into our lives. To let this new world um, invite us forward into new beginnings and new possibilities. Life change, life transformation. How are we going to participate with all that God is doing in light of this good news 
that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that a new world is possible right here in the midst of this broken, dark one that's filled with so much death and despair. Ronald Rollheiser, I think the words will be here on the screens, he says this, we know how to anticipate an event. And I would even go so far that we know how to celebrate an event, right? We know how to anticipate and celebrate events, but we don't know how to sustain it. Now, some of that is because why, right? One event happens, and what happens? We're automatically looking for the next one, right? You see it every time you walk into a department store, right? I mean, it's like, boom, that one's over, the decorations are done, up comes the next, next decorations, right? And so it's just, we, we live in a culture that's constantly inviting us into anticipating the next moment. And we've had no time to actually just kind of sit and bask in the moment that just took place that's still very much present. And, and what is this moment still here present with us longing to shape within us? So Mosaic, we're kind of going to take this journey here over this next couple weeks and just simply say, Jesus, you've, you've initiated this new world in our midst. And so what does this mean for us? Right? How are we going to sustain this beautiful good news of Easter? Uh, that's what we want to be about this morning. So last week we considered, if you were with us, at the graduate. Wasn't that a great morning together at the graduate? Oh, it was wonderful. Seeing our kids up there with us and uh, just lots of good moments. But we looked at how when, when Jesus appears after this bodily resurrection from the dead, um, of course I talked about, you know, I talked about a comeback, right? I mentioned good old Tiger Woods the week before at the Masters. Right? I mean, that's the way to stage a comeback, right? You, you show back up on the world's grandest stage. And so if I were Jesus, that's what I would have done. I would have showcased my event, you know, my resurrection event. But Jesus isn't passionate about showcasing his resurrection. What he's passionate about is speaking sacred moments into your life. And he's passionate about speaking sacred moments into my life, Mosaic. And so we have to learn how to pay attention often, regularly, throughout our days. What is Jesus speaking into my life as a result of this new world that he's made possible? And so we looked at how Jesus showed up in Mary Magdalene's life. And what did he do? He spoke, he spoke a new beginning into her sorrow. Because as, as much as we mourn kind of the ending of things, the ending is really just an opportunity for another beginning. And so Jesus speaks a new beginning into Mary Magdalene's sorrow. Jesus then goes and he, he walks into the locked room where the disciples are hiding because of it. they're afraid of just the world that's out there around them. There's so much to be fearful of. And Jesus speaks right into their fear, and he says, peace be with you. We look then a week later where Jesus goes into that same room, and, and, and Thomas, who was there now this time, Thomas wasn't there the week before, and uh, Thomas known as Doubting Thomas. And we said probably underneath Thomas's doubt, underneath uh, his skepticism, are, are a lot of wounds, Right? 
Because it's usually the, the fact that we've been wounded, the fact that we've been hurt. And a lot of times in the midst of our being wounded and the hurt that we've experienced, maybe we're saying, God, were you there, God? Why, why didn't you step in and do something? Why did I have to go through this? And, and what does Jesus do? Jesus speaks to Thomas's doubt and Thomas's skepticism, and Jesus speaks to Thomas's wounds underneath those doubts, underneath that skepticism. And what does Jesus invite Thomas to do? He invites Thomas to touch his wounds, right? Look at my hands, see? Look here, touch my side. See where the wound is? And what we said is, is Jesus speaks into our woundedness, and he says, I've experienced those same wounds, the hurt that you've experienced from others, I've been there too. And so you know what? Let's go. Let's move forward through our our hurt, through our woundedness. This morning, we want to look at another moment where Jesus is going to, he's going to speak a sacred moment into someone's life. And the tragedy of this is that this person is, is, they're right on the edge of missing it. They're right on the edge of missing the sacred moment that Jesus is going to speak into their life because they're busy looking over their shoulder. They're busy wondering how their journey is going to compare with somebody else's journey. Maybe there's some envy going on. Maybe there's some rivalry going on. And so I want to invite you this morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of John um, in the midst of all of these narratives that we looked at last week. But specifically, I want to start at the beginning of chapter 20 in the Gospel of John. Now, before I begin here, um, I was born in 1973, and then in 1977, the world changed. Star Wars, A New Hope, (laughs) came on the scene. All right, so I'm four at the time, okay? Now, at the same time, I'm beginning to build a couple of friendships um, with some buddies right in the neighborhood, right? This is in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, very much resembled the near south neighborhood where I live here in Lincoln now. The houses were very close, you know. But there's no Wi-Fi. There's no cable TV. So, like, we're just, man, we're, like, playing outside all the time. So Craig and Jamie, they were my new buddies. And so myself, Craig and Jamie, like, we're, we're discovering what friendship is all about. But, like, Star Wars shows up. And when Star Wars showed up, then shortly after, um, Star Wars action figures showed up. And, uh, like, me and my buddies, we were, like, on a, we were, like, just, like, we had to be the first ones to get those action figures. <laughs> and, and then what happened is we, we started to, like, see who could get the next action figure first. And then we started to get jealous of each other, right? I mean, it started with, like, the little Luke Skywalker figure, you know, and then on to Han Solo and R2-D2 and C-3PO. Um, but I think then I was the first one to actually get a vehicle, so I got, like, Luke's land speeder. Oh, yeah. And you could tell, like, when, when Craig and Jamie came and played, you know, like, they're like, dude, you got the land speeder? Like, you could almost see the jealousy in their eyes, like, how'd you get the land speeder? Just got the land speeder, guys. Uh, but then, see, we got on this, like, this whole thing started then, because then eventually, like, I went over to Craig's house one day, and I bring my land speeder, but guess what Craig had? The X-Wing fighter. Come on. I mean, now he's got that. That was slightly cooler than my land speeder. Um, now, Jamie, Jamie's family probably, they didn't have much money compared to, like, myself and Craig's family. So it was really kind of Craig and I's battle. And I can only imagine kind of how Jamie's watching all of this play out, right? So here we are in the midst of this budding new friendship, and we've got this competition going on. 
Um, so, you know, I'm like, that's cool. I'm going to get Darth Vader's TIE fighter next, you know. <laughs> so I got that, and, uh, you know. Um, but then the next thing you know, Craig gets the Millennium Falcon. What? Come on. But then I topped it all off with the Imperial Snowwalker. And so, like, it was, it was beautiful. Um, but I, I tell you that story because our, our friendship, this, this beautiful new thing that was on the scene, our friendship was being affected because we were constantly sizing each other up. And it was difficult even for us to be happy with each other, right? To be happy for each other. I mean, this was going on underneath, especially between Craig and I. And we didn't really talk about it, even though we both knew that it was there. And like I said, I can only imagine what Jamie was thinking as he watched on, as he looked on and saw all of this. Um, and I mean, th- these, are the, these are the petty games that we play with each other, right? They are. And then as we get older, like, it, it, we still play them with each other, right? I mean, man, how does she look so good in that dress? Don't you see what she eats? Right? These, are the things that we, these, these are the things that we say to ourselves, right? Or sometimes we speak them to each other. Man, how did he get that new truck? He doesn't have money for that. Right? Um, this, this happens. And so in light of all of these distractions, in light of our competitions and rivalries, and sometimes not, not being okay with our own life and not being okay with our own path that's before us, we're constantly admiring the path of others. And, and if that's where we're living, guys, if that's where we're living, we're going to miss out on the, the sacred moments of what Jesus has to say to us. So John chapter 20. It, it's possible for our experience of the new world that Jesus' resurrection has created it's possible for our experience of that to diminish because of um, our distractions, our comparisons, our envy, our shame, that maybe I, I don't have the story that I wish I had. The resurrected Jesus is passionate to speak words of, of value and purpose into our distractions, our shame, our comparisons, our envy. So John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, there's this mysterious disciple in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see this in in a few different places throughout the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John was most likely a gospel that came about um, because John the Apostle, uh, James and John, they were sons of Zebedee, and along with Peter, they were fishermen um, when Jesus showed up on the scene and started calling his disciples, okay? So much like Craig, myself, and Jamie, we were all friends, so Peter... This John, and then John's brother James, those two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, they're, they're, they're in this gospel, all right? And so John, he became known as the one whom Jesus loved. So John and this community of followers of John were likely the ones who put together this gospel that we're reading today. And they wanted us to know that John was Jesus' favorite disciple, they want us to know that, okay? So it's important that we, that we know that as we get into this narrative this morning. Um, and so they tell us right here. So, so Mary Magdalene, verse 2, she came running to Simon Peter 
and the other disciple, you know, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and this other disciple started running for the tomb. Now notice this next verse. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Why is this verse here? What, why do we need to know that? So I think we can infer that as we're interacting with this gospel, what do we start to see already? We see some comparisons, right? We see some envy. We see some competition going on, some rivalry between friends here. And, of course, they want us to know that, hey, this disciple, you know, the one whom Jesus loved, um, he could run faster. <laughs> and he got to the tomb first. So, so he bent over and looked in, the, uh, in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who, <clears throat> who had reached the tomb first, right? Let's not forget that point. He reached the tomb first. He also went inside. Now, guess what? He saw and what? He believed, Right? I mean, it's just like, I mean, they just keep sticking it to Peter here, okay? So the, this is really going on. So we step into this story, and we're like, man, alive. Like, this competition, this envy, this jealousy, this looking over the shoulder, this is real stuff that's going on uh, even at this time. Um, let's, let's continue together. John chapter 21. Uh, so we're going to go to, yeah, chapter 21, the next chapter. Verses 1 through 3. Uh, so Jesus has, makes, it, makes his appearance to the disciples, to Thomas. And now afterward, Jesus appeared again to his dis- disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which again are John and James, right? And two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I want us just to pause and consider those those words from Peter. Um, I'm going out to fish. And how do the other disciples respond? We'll go with you. You see, it's, it's, it's as if everything had changed in this new world that Jesus' resurrection had brought about. But for these disciples, it's also as if nothing had changed. Let's just get back on with our lives. Let's just go make a living. Let's just go chase a paycheck. Let's just go take the next vacation. This is where these disciples are at. Let's just go fishing. Now, interestingly enough, if we were to look at other gospel accounts, when Jesus first called Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were actually out fishing. And what did Jesus do? Jesus called them out from fishing and said, come follow me. I'm going to usher you into a new call. You're going to be fishing for men. And of course, fishing was still a part of their life, but, but fishing no longer defined their life. What defined their life now was following Jesus into these new experiences, right? These new risks, this new world that Jesus was going to be creating. 
And so in a sense, what Jesus is doing here is he's meeting them again right at the same place that he first called them. He's meeting them at that place once again. Uh, Let's look at verse um, 15 now. Jesus shows up on the scene. Before verse 15, Jesus shows up on the scene and um, Jesus said, hey, friends, I see you're not catching anything, you know, like, uh, throw your net on the other side of the boat, right? And so they haul in this catch of fish, and all of a sudden they realize, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And so Jesus then now, in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus invites them to a meal. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these there's debate as to what the, the these are. You know, do you love me more than these fish? I, I don't know. Do you love me more than these people who are around you? Now, let's remember where Peter was at here, right? Peter was at a place where he had just days before denied that he knew Jesus three times. And, of course, this was Peter who said he would never, he would never leave Jesus, and so Peter's now once again in this, this real world of like rivalry and comparisons and envy and jealousy and not being able to run as fast as the beloved disciple John, right? This is the world that he's living in and he's gone back to fishing because everything's changed but nothing has changed. And, and Jesus is now going to ask Peter a few sets of questions, really a question. He's going to repeat it a few times. And I think what, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is really counteracting Peter's threefold denial of Jesus. So Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, guys, I want to stop here just for a moment. I I want us to really capture a sense of what's going on, all right? Jesus is, is meeting Peter in a sacred moment of resurrection, speaking into his life, speaking into his shame, right? We can only imagine the shame that Peter was feeling, the shame that he didn't perform in the way that he wanted to perform, And Jesus is inviting Peter out of that shame. Jesus is not going to allow Peter to stay in that shame. Now, Jesus is also meeting Peter right here in the midst of this competition, in this jealousy, in this rivalry that was between friends. This is a real thing that's going on, and we're going to see it play out here in just a moment. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Come out of your shame. I have a place for you in my kingdom. I have a, I have a, a role for you in this new world I've created. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, tradition has it from church fathers that Peter actually was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified in the way that his Lord was crucified. And so Peter's call was definitely this call that, yeah, it was going to be a difficult road ahead of him. But just like Easter tells us, the worst thing is never the last thing, right? And because the worst thing is never the last thing, we can bravely, boldly step into whatever call Jesus has for us before us, regardless of the risk that's there, regardless of the fear that's there. We can step into this knowing that Jesus is walking with us and he has even the power over death. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw who? That the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Man, the rivalry is thick. The tension between these these two is thick. The jealousy and the envy and the competition is thick. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Now, let's just pause for a minute, Mosaic. Because I can guarantee that the vast majority of us here in this room right now are experiencing some discontent in our lives. If only I had what that person had. If only things would play out for me the way that things have played out for that person. If only I could do the things that that person could do. If only my life had played out how that person's life had played out. Right? If only I could make money like that person makes money. If only I could think that quick on my feet like that person thinks that quick on their feet. If only I could look as good as that person looks. If only I could drop weight as quick as that person can drop weight. This is the culture, the world that we live in, guys. And if we're going to stay in that place where we're constantly looking over our shoulder at other people, we are going to miss the unique call that Jesus has placed on each of our lives for what is before you today. What is before you this week? What does Jesus want to call you out of so that he can call you into something? And are we willing to engage with that on the timeline that Jesus is willing to walk with us on that timeline? These are the questions we have to wrestle with. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And maybe that's a question that Jesus wants to ask each of us this morning. Look, I, that, that life you wish you had, that, that thing you wish had played out differently, you know, that, that thing that you wish was present, you're like, what is that to you? What is that to you? Instead, what about what's right before you? What about the potential that's right before you? As bleak as your circumstances might look, as much despair is present there, what about what's right before you? And do you believe that I have a call for you in the midst of that, that I am still calling you forward into the new world that I've created so that you can follow me into bold 
ways of loving, of sharing, of living, of giving of yourself, of being confident that you have everything you need, that you've been equipped by God's Spirit who's in you to be about those things. This is, this is what we have to wrestle with, Mosaic. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So, Mosaic, a few things as we begin to wrap up this morning. First one, Jesus desires to commission each of us to join him in the work of tending his new creation. There is a a brand new world, a brand new world of self-giving love, of hope, of hospitality, um, of possibility that Jesus has made possible, and he's commissioning each of us in it, regardless of our past, regardless of whatever shame that you're feeling. Just like Jesus steps into Peter's life and says, come on, we're going to move forward. Forget about the shame of the past. We're moving forward. Jesus is commissioning each of us, right? You're going to step out into the world as soon as you leave this place and you have the opportunity to embody this kind of self-giving love, this kind of grace, this kind of forgiveness that's been extended to you. Jesus is commissioning each of us. Secondly, Mosaic, we are a family. And so my hope for us as a family is that we would become a family, and I love this about Mosaic already, but I want us to go even further with it, that we would be a family that, man, we cheer each other on, right? There is no competition here. There is not who can run and reach the tomb the fastest first, right? There is not one who's loved more than anybody else by Jesus, right? But each of us, as a part of this family, man, like when something happens in somebody else's life that's good and needs to be celebrated, we can actually celebrate it, right? Wouldn't that be great? That we're a community, like there's none of that envy and jealousy. We're laying that to the, to the side. We are just simply celebrating all of the beautiful things that happen in our lives. And so we're a family feeding one another God's grace in order to go out and bring healing and blessing to the world. Now, if we're going to feed one another God's grace that he's made available to us, um, there's work to be done, Mosaic, right? There's tables to be set. There's meals to be um, cooked and provided. There's cleanup that needs to be done. Right? I mean, we're a family doing this together. And so my hope for us is that as we move forward into this new world that Jesus has made possible, that things don't stay the same, but things change because all of a sudden we're realizing, whoa, we're, we're like a family called to like feed God's grace to one another so that we can then go out and extend this to the world around us. Like, okay, what do I need to do? Are there dishes that need to be washed? Right? Are there meals that need to be prepared? Is there someone I need to, like, just invest and pay more attention to? Are there conversations that I need to engage in? Like, what is it, God? What's the unique calling that you have for me? Like, I wonder how would our lives change if each and every morning we were to kind of wake up and take just a moment. And before we start thinking about everything that needs to be done, before we start thinking, oh, man, I wish my life was a little bit different. I wish I could walk that road instead of this road that I'm having to walk. What if we just simply paused and said, you know what, God, thank you for the road that's before me. And I believe that on this road that's before me, whatever it is, you have a call for me here, and you've equipped me for this call And I can step forward on this road and I can receive grace from you so that I can extend this to each and every person I'm going to meet along the way. Imagine like just being set free from all of those distractions. 
where instead our lives are marked by these sacred moments of really hearing Jesus say to us, look, this road before you, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on it. I have a call for you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Let's go. Let's build this family together. Let's do it. Third thing, never allow shame over your past or current comparisons and envy to distract you from the specific call Jesus has placed on your life. Um, So a lot of us are familiar um, with the Ten Commandments, right? Does anybody know the Tenth Commandment? Anybody know the Tenth Commandment? You shall not what? Do you know? Covet. You shall not covet. Um, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's donkey. You know, all these contextual things of like the ancient Near East. But you shall not covet. So it's interesting. Of course, there's all these other commandments before this. And so in the the rabbinic tradition, um, it's actually told that there are nine commandments, and the tenth commandment is actually a promise. Meaning this, that if you that if you place no other gods before you other than the Lord your God, that if you really, like, are following all of these first nine commandments, the tenth commandment is actually a promise. And the promise is this, you shall not covet. Because when you're so caught up with what God is doing through your unique story, when you're so caught up in the sacred moments of allowing him to speak purpose into your life right where your life is now, you won't covet. You won't want anybody else's life. Even with all of your shame, even with all of the shortcomings, even with, with everything that you wish wasn't there, like you're going to learn to just like love your life. This is the life that God has given me. The past and the hurt and the shame of it all. And because I'm going to allow Jesus to speak these sacred moments of resurrection into my life, I'm not going to want anybody else's life. And that's my hope for you this morning, Mosaic, is that you walk out of this place this morning and you're like, man, I have this life. And it's filled with a heck of a lot of craziness. There's a whole load of crap that I wish wasn't a part of it. But you know what? This is my life that I've been given, and Jesus is going to take it, and he's going to work with it, and he's speaking a unique call, and I get to join him in the work of tending the beautiful new creation that his resurrection has brought about. And I'm just going to stop comparing myself with everybody else. I'm going I'm I'm to leave that world, right? And the only way that this happens is by regularly, consistently allowing Jesus to speak sacred moments of resurrection into our life. The things that I love is, is Jesus is, is doing this for Peter over what? Over a meal that Jesus made possible. Because they were fishing just a moment ago and they weren't catching anything. And Jesus showed up on the scene and Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. So Jesus provides this miraculous catch of fish. And then Jesus invites the disciples to come and, and share in this meal. And really, this is just a picture of what Jesus does. Remember that meal where Jesus called his disciples that first time and said, look, this is a meal that I'm providing for you. And this bread, I'm going to give thanks for it. I'm going to break it. And this bread is my body, which is given for you. And this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is for you, for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Um, And as they prepare to lead us in this final song, Mosaic, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? And can we just... um,
let's just feel ourselves just kind of like, just relax into our seats. And as we just, as we feel the weight of our bodies in our seats, maybe it's really easy for you right now, maybe it's really difficult for you right now. But would you be willing to just simply say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for me. Thank you for this body you've given me. Chances are there's all kinds of other bodies. If we had our choice, we'd we'd choose all kinds of other bodies. But Jesus, thank you for this body you've given me. Thank you for this. Jesus, thank you for the story Thank you for the story that's unfolded in my life up to this point. The, the painful parts, the good memories, the things that we wish weren't there, the shame, the comparisons. But can you just give thanks for it all? Not try to push any of it away. But just realize it, it, it all belongs. It all belongs. And even when it feels like some of it has no purpose, Jesus brings purpose to it. And and let's just hear Jesus, just like he said to Peter, Peter, you must follow me. Let Jesus speak that to you. You must follow me. Don't look over your shoulder. What's the path before you this week? God, thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you that Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you're not interested in showcasing yourself, but you are passionate about speaking life into us. So that's our prayer that as a family, a family of life, a family of resurrection life, that we would leave here with a renewed sense of purpose and vision and call. We pray this in your name. Amen.